Welcome to the Stefan Levira Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the show and my guest today is the great Jimmy Song. Thanks for coming on, Jimmy. Thank you for having me. Excellent. It's great to have you here. And just to intro Jimmy to anyone who's new, although he barely needs an introduction for anyone who's into Bitcoin, Jimmy Song, he is a Bitcoin core contributor. He was the former VP of engineering for Armory, which is a very popular, well-known Bitcoin wallet. He was previously principal architect at Paxos. And nowadays, he's really known as one of the great educators in this space. And also, is, he is also a venture partner at Blockchain Capital. So he's very highly regarded, and we're very lucky to have him on the podcast today. Uh, we've got a few topics to touch on, um, but I think first we should touch on the recent Roger Veer debate that you had um, with yeah that you had with Roger on the cruise. So uh, maybe you want to just give us a quick kind of background on how that how you felt that went, Jimmy. Well, uh, so we, we set this up a while back. Uh, I, I made a video on YouTube that said Roger Ver is a Keynesian. He, um, he emailed me and said, that's like a straw man argument. I'd love to be back on your show so we could talk about it. And, uh, and I was going to do that. But then this, uh, this cruise came up and I saw that he was one of the speakers. So I told the organizers, you know, that might be a good time to do it. And I'm sure that if we have a debate, that that would be the talk of the entire cruise. Um, they loved the idea. Roger accepted. So we ended up, um, you know, go, uh, agreeing to do it. Um, I wanted like a much higher level debate because I've noticed that pretty much every debate between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash um, sort of devolves a little bit and you end up. Uh, you know, talking like at a very like way too technical level for the lay audience or like sort of like lots of name calling or something like that. Very um, like it, it doesn't change anyone's mind. So I, I purposefully uh, wanted the debate to be very much like a Lincoln Douglas style debate. And the organ- it was my time slot. And Roger was like had talked before in, a, in, in another thing. So. Um, you know, the organizers were like, you know, you can do whatever you want with it. Um, I wanted a Lincoln Douglas style debate and I purposefully focused on the economic stuff because I wanted his best argument. I, I knew that he wasn't a very technical guy and he's not going to be able to tell, uh, talk to me about the subtleties of RBF or Segwit or something like that. But something like, uh, you know, talking about uh, you know, Austrian economics or something, I figured he would be better suited to debate me for. So I, I try to keep the conversation at a high level and not have it devolve into sort of like Jerry Springer-ish debates that we're so used to seeing in this space. Um, unfortunately, it ended up being more Jerry Springer. Um, and uh, like, it's uh, it's unfortunate, but I, I mean, I could tell you that uh, you know, during the entire cruise, he was um, he was kind of itching for a fight. He brought a bunch of his employees with him. They're always like sort of with him wherever he went. Um, he had one guy with a camera so he could uh, like record at any time. He was ambushing people like TMZ style. He, um, one of the things that doesn't show up on the video that's out there is that he he ambushed me right before the, the, we went on stage. Like he, he ambushed me for like 10 minutes, um, trying to like record like something before the actual debate. Um, I, I, I don't really understand why we, we were going to debate up there and he, he wanted to like change some things. He, he hadn't contacted me about any of the terms of the debate or anything up until that moment, uh, despite me trying to contact him several times. So, uh, it was it, it was this weird situation, and then you know we had what happened. Everyone saw what's on the video, um, but I wanted it to be a higher level debate. It didn't really end up that way. Yeah, it's an interesting point, and I think um, it, perhaps it, it, there should have been a moderator from the start. However, I think there would have there, there were still a lot of points that I think you know Roger didn't really respond very well to you on, and I think some of the key arguments that just kind of came out it i mean let's let's kind of go into a few of them actually one key argument i think that roger and and 
the team and his team tend to make is they say, oh, Blockstream's influence is so big, but really they're dramatically overstating the level. And I think you came back to them on that and you, you've pointed out that really there's, you know, there are many different developers, all of whom, you know, may, are free to contribute. Um, could you outline a little bit around some of the different teams who contribute aside from the Blockstream developers? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. Uh, I mean, there's only like a couple of Blockstream developers at this point. Most of them have either left Blockstream or, you know, aren't really contributing to Core. Um, you have, I think, Peter Woolley and um, uh, maybe Christian Decker or something like that. Uh, but a lot more developers come out of Chain Code Labs and MIT Digital Currency Initiative. There's a lot of other independent contributors like Johnson Lau and Kelly Alm and Vladimir Vanderlaan and and like they they're they have a lot more influence than I would say like Blockstream does. Um, but you know, I mean, they, it's like kind of a nice story, right? Like the and. That's uh, that's what I'm noticing is that they none of those people have actually contributed to Core, but they act like that's that's who actually controls it, and and that was my main argument is that you don't know what you're talking about. You haven't ever contributed, and you seem to like be so certain of something. Um, yeah, doesn't that sound much more like a conspiracy theory than actual fact? Uh, and I don't know, like. I, I, I'm starting to realize that that's not really their uh, goal is is the truth. Their their goal is to sort of discredit uh, Bitcoin, and they they want to be known as Bitcoin instead. And uh, they'll they'll do whatever to get it. And they they made up this weird conspiracy theory with no basis in fact. Um, and I, I I don't understand who they think will actually believe it, unless you're holding a lot of Bitcoin cash bags, in which case you're more or less forced to believe that with the wishful thinking in your mind. Um, there's like it doesn't really make any sense. So I mean, I, yeah, that's that's my thought on what's going on there. Mm, yeah, and I think one interesting thing with that is also it just strikes me as a denial of the way bitcoin's network network governance works and it is a denial of some of the key factors that help determine you know which which one is kind of more important or which one really is bitcoin like for example the hash power the price the number of nodes the number of developers the number of transactions all are much much greater on bitcoin than they are on bcash so yeah. how then is it that they can claim that, you know, Bcash is the real Bitcoin? <laughs> I, I mean, I, it, that's sort of a weird marketing term that they came up with. And I, I don't think even a lot of BCH people really believe that. Um, the, the thing that they, um, they keep pointing to is that like Blockstream controls it or that it's, I, it's, it's kind of an article of faith on that side and you can't really convince them of it, uh, in, with any sort of rational argument. Um, and, you know, it's very hard, difficult to convince people against, uh, you know, their economic interests, right? Like, uh, if, if you're a BCH bag holder, you're not gonna look at things objectively. You're, 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 you bought the BCH for whatever reason and your, your sort of main goal is to pump up BCH. And, and I, I, this is something that I've noticed about a lot of those guys is that they don't really care about the truth. They, they just want to pump their bags. That's it. And th this is true of a lot of ICO people, a lot of people in, uh, in a lot of these altcoins. Um, they're, they have a clear economic incentive to pump their stuff. And a lot of times that means, uh, you know, disparaging other stuff, whether or not it's true or not. Um, to me, that completely discredits whatever it is that they're trying to say. And, uh, and I, I just sort of leave it at that. And uh, it's, the, their claims are almost all based on the economic situation that they find themselves Mm, yeah. And I think the other thing is this absurd focus on the so-called 
Bitcoin dominance figure, which really is, it's absurd. It's treating Bitcoin like it's a business. It's counting all the ICO scams and all the altcoins alongside with Bitcoin. This whole metric should just be thrown out the window. Other people such as Brendan Bernstein have commented, and he had a good way of putting it. He said, cryptocurrencies are money, not equity. And likewise, counting in all these ICOs and all these other coins, I think the metric itself should be retired. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I would like to know just how many bag holders there are. Um, and it, it's difficult to tell because a lot of the the stats are kind of manipulated. They try to, you know, adjust them and so on. Um, but there, there was a post a while back about how like the Bitcoin, like pretty much every line in coin market cap is like off in some way. And, uh, and it's hard, difficult to determine what the truth is there. Um, it's just sort of the, their obsession with that, again, is based on, you know, what can, what they perceive to be something that can hurt Bitcoin. Or, um, it's, it's not about the truth. It's, uh, it's very much a political thing. And I, 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 and I think this speaks to their centralization is that, um, you know, they, they think this is sort of a political game. Uh, where you have to pump up your leader um, and disparage all other perceived leaders. Um, if you were in a really decentralized system, there wouldn't be any leaders. And if they got discredited, it wouldn't matter. Uh, and the, and I think this is the big disconnect in that debate is, you know, like everything that Roger did, it was it was very clear it was to try to discredit me personally and not anything about my argument uh, the entire time he was speaking it was about um okay like i could see through his thought process it's almost like how do i discredit jimmy how do i make him look bad how do i uh take away his credibility it wasn't about the ideas at all which is the kind of debate that i wanted to have but it wasn't of interest to him and you know that's why he asked the question about you know, uh, have you read Keynes's general theory or, you know, whatever mm. um, that yeah. that only really works in sort of in a centralized that works well in a centralized system. Right. Like this is how politics is done. You discredit some leader and then you get to be that leader um, in Bitcoin. It doesn't like I don't matter that much to Bitcoin. Right. Like um, if if I if I get discredited that Bitcoin keeps chugging along. Uh, but when you do have a leader like Roger in BCH and he gets discredited, oh, that's a big deal. That that means that that coin might collapse. And it's not just him. There's like multiple single points of failure on that coin. There's like Amory Sachet, Jihan Wu. Um, you know, like they they have to they have to lead basically, right? They're the centralized party. Uh, and this is true of every altcoin, right? Vitalik and Ethereum and, uh, you know, whoever is leading all these other ICOs or whatever. Um, they are the person that everyone in that coin defends because this this is the nature of a centralized system. For me, like, I like, but for Bitcoin, it's like completely different, right? Like, it, it, you're you're there to defend the idea. You, you don't care, like, like, I don't matter, right? Like, a particular any particular person in Bitcoin like doesn't matter because it's a decentralized system, uh, and that's the I think mental mental difference and like I, I think that's um, evidence that Bitcoin is actually decentralized, whereas Bitcoin Cash clearly is not. Mm, that's a great point, and I think the other one that really ties into that is. Roger, during that debate, kept saying, oh, look, I did it with Bitcoin and I'll do it again with Bitcoin Cash. Yeah. Right? There, <laughs> there's a new meme going around with that. It's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. I've seen some, some of that just this morning, actually. I've seen a few where it's basically saying, oh, look, I did it with, you know, Squirtle and now I'll do it with Charmander <laughs> or whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, yeah, I... I, I the he he seems to uh be taking credit for bitcoin success and uh and i think that he actually believes that 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 he's a very successful businessman you know like he he he's responsible for the success of bitcoin he he really thinks that he he created this thing uh when in fact it was a lot of other things besides him. I mean, like credit to him, right? Early on, he he did do a lot of evangelism for Bitcoin or whatever. Uh, but 
like there's no universe where Roger didn't do it. And then we can see like the difference that he made or something like that. Uh, we, we don't really know. Um, and he seems to be thinking that he was the reason and that his marketing or his ability to argue for it or something like that was the reason for Bitcoin's success and that he's going to bring all those powers onto Bitcoin Cash and that's going to make the difference. Um, I think he vastly overestimates his own importance. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I don't know that either. I, I, that's, uh, but it, it just seems kind of funny because it reminds me of a megalomaniac. It may be that part of the reason Roger, it, like, it's like it might be the other way around, right? It might not be that Roger made Bitcoin big, but that Bitcoin made Roger big, mm. right? So yeah, so that's another kind of aspect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and like, I don't know, multiple people have told me like he he's sad that he doesn't have the reputation that he once did. Because I mean, if, if you think about how Roger Vera was perceived by this community, even like three or four years ago. I mean, people called him Bitcoin Jesus, right? Like he was going on all of these news shows and, you know, advocating for Bitcoin. Um, I think he had like very much a purpose in his life, um, you know, like advocating for Bitcoin. And, and you know, he felt like he was uh, doing something for the cause of liberty and stuff. Um, and he's trying to get a little bit of that back. Uh, but, you know, I mean, obviously he's lost a lot of reputation in the Bitcoin community, um, and he's trying to build up this sort of cult of personality again. Um, it's kind of sad because uh, I, I, I do feel like he squandered a lot of the the goodwill that he used to have. And I don't know. It, it's uh, yeah. Bitcoin helped make him, but he doesn't, <laughs> doesn't seem to see it. One other particular argument that I think maybe I haven't really seen a good response from him or the other Bcashers is just this idea that money progresses in stages. Mm -hmm. It seems that they are under this impression that everything should just all happen at once, whereas really the understanding that I think you and I might share as put out by other people such as Vijay Boyapati and so on, mm -hmm. who've explained that it moves from a, a, in, process, in a process of stages from collectible to store of value, then to medium of exchange, and then to unit of account. And I think that's one area where a lot of the Bcashers are trying to jump straight to that medium of exchange mm -hmm. point before we've even got to store of value. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's like they don't seem to, they seem to take it as an article of faith that you need to have it as a medium of exchange before or method of payment before it becomes a store of value. And I, I wrote an article about this a couple of weeks ago about how I expect Bitcoin to actually become a method of payment. It's only at the point when merchants are absolutely demanding Bitcoin for payment and only Bitcoin and will not take anything else that it actually becomes a method of payment. Doing it before then is kind of dumb because uh, what you end up doing is having a method of payment that's very, very um, you know, bad in terms of user experience, merchant acceptance, all the things that matter for method of payment. Um, you know, you, you have literally dozens of different options for a method of payment right now. You have, you know, Amex, Visa, MasterCard. You also have like PayPal, Venmo, Cash App. You also have like checks and you have Samsung Pay and Apple Pay and you have Google Wallet and all, all of these things. Everybody's been trying to get into that space. And it's uh, it's much, much more convenient than any any of these other things uh, I, like like Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash or, you know, Litecoin or whatever, uh, even to some degree Lightning, right? Like the, these things are something that everyone knows how to use. It's very convenient and they know exactly what to expect. From a method of payment perspective, at least right now, those those are way more convenient. Uh, and Roger's been like pushing the method of payment use case since almost the beginning. But I think it's very misplaced. It's a... Uh, it's putting the like he's trying to accelerate, uh, you know, adoption that way. But in, in a sense, that's trying to get someone to like you by like being in their face all the time. It, it doesn't really work. Um, they have to like you first, <laughs> then you can ask them out on a date. Uh, yeah, I like that. It's very funny. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, he he's gotten it like all the like it's like, oh, if only they can see how great I am, then, you know, 
then they'll start liking me. But like, as anyone that's dated knows, if you if you're in their face too much, they're gonna get annoyed with you and like wonder why you're in their face so much. Um, like, if you were actually like uh, somebody that was, um, you know, in high demand as you uh, as like you you would like to claim, then you wouldn't be hanging around them all the time. You'd actually be like away from them and doing your own thing instead of like, you know, desperately seeking their attention. It's, it's, it's just, it's kind of ridiculous. And I I think all of them at, at, like at a deep level kind of know, it's just like sort of an argument that they used in, in the wishful hope that they too will, they will, you know, dethrone Bitcoin. Like that's sort of the article of faith for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, um, related is this whole sea lion meme can you explain the sea lion meme for the listeners yeah the sea lion meme is hilarious i I didn't actually know what it was until a a few days ago but uh but the idea is it's uh it's someone that debates you is like unfailingly polite but that's the only metric that they uh that they measure the debate against it's uh, it's always like uh Oh, I've been nice to you and you've been rude to me. Therefore, I won the debate. That's that. That's sort of the attitude of sea lioning. Uh, and that's something that Roger does very often, right? It's always about uh, civility or something like that. And again, that matters in a centralized system because, you know, it's about picking leaders. Bitcoin doesn't have leaders. So I don't really care about that, right? Like I'm not a leader of Bitcoin. I don't want to be a leader of Bitcoin. I, I, if somebody wanted to appoint me, I would tell them no, because that, that, that takes away the main value proposition of Bitcoin. Uh, but for him, you know, he's a leader of Bitcoin Cash. So it's very important to be perceived a certain way. And, uh, for like, for him, like being, being nice or civil or appearing that way is more important than, the actual argument or the ideas or the policies of uh, of either coin, and that that's uh, that's something that I mean, like nobody really like explained that that was a thing to me uh, until like after the debate, and I was like, that is exactly what he is. There's there's a there's a cartoon I posted on my Twitter uh, that explains this pretty well. It's uh, you know just someone being like polite but really annoying, and it's like you you know, you, you kind of have to be rude to them to get rid of them. And then they, they declare victory right afterwards. That's, that's kind of how Roger is. <laughs> yeah. So I think someone has done a meme where they've basically used that sea lion meme, but then put in Roger in that. So <laughs> I will uh, share the sea lion meme or the Roger one, if I can find it in the show notes for this episode. Uh, and then that brings up the question, is it time to stop debating Roger? Uh, I think I think so. Perhaps I like because he's not really interested in actual debate. He uh, like he, he's gotten to the point where he's, uh, you know, carrying, you know, he has his crew with him, including somebody that's got like a video camera at all times. Um, he's becoming the TMZ of crypto. Like he, he just like goes around and tries to instigate people so he can look better. He thinks that's honestly the way that he can gain influence. Um, I, I think somebody needs to tell him that Bitcoin's decentralized. It's not about leaders or, uh, you know, like people are a lot smarter than just looking at civility. I mean, there there are certainly people that are stupid enough to just judge based on, you know, how people react to a camera and that's it. Uh, but, you know, generally the people that get into crypto know what know at least what what they're investing in. And that's not really an argument. That's that's really an appeal to civility or something like that. Uh, and it's it's that's that's not a very good indicator of whether or not you're making a sound investment. Like lots of scammers are unfailingly polite doesn't mean that that's a very good investment. So I I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm definitely questioning whether or not I should have done this. Um, and, you know, I, actually several people like messaged me and said, why are you giving this scammer a platform? Um you know, you really shouldn't have done this. I'm like, well, you know, I thought he was sort of this naive but sincere person and all that. Um, but I met him at the cruise. I don't think he's a naive, sincere person. And they're like, oh, you never met him. That explains it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and they, they seem to sort of understand uh, my predicament there. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I, I don't, I don't think he's really worth debating because he, he's, he doesn't really want to debate. He just wants to, um, he wants to 
like basically defame your character and uh, enhance his own. And that's, that's not, it's not a discussion of ideas. It's a, it's a tearing down of each other's it's, it's a character. It's, it's a fist fight sort of in a reputational sense. Um, and I'm not really interested in that. I, maybe other people would be, and I, I don't begrudge them the opportunity to do that. I'm not going to tell anyone what to do, but that's that's my current assessment. Mm, yeah, yeah. And look, in fairness to you, uh, with the people messaging you, in fairness to you, sometimes you know arguments should be rebutted, right? If you sort of leave it out there, then it you know might look like oh, you, your site doesn't have an answer, kind of thing, mm. but eventually i suppose you know it comes to a point where you know we, most of the key points have been discussed and in fact you know i think there are various arguments from the you know non bcash side that have really not been answered well by the bcash side um yeah it, it's a good point as well you make around scammers being unfailingly polite you know <laughs> so people have to be wary yeah no matter what um yeah yeah i i mean i i i I do have that one thing over him, which is that he offered to bet me a million dollars. And uh, and I, I've sent him details on it. My gut instinct is that he won't follow up at all. And uh, and that's something that I'll always be able to use every time he brings up, like, I want to debate somebody. And I'll just be like, okay, then put your money where your mouth is because you, you've never followed up with this bet. So why should anyone debate you? So... I think uh, that will keep him sh- uh, shut up for a while. Um, he may still do like the TMZ style ambushes on random core devs or something like that. Uh, in which case, you know, they'll, they'll um, you know, this will be hopefully the go-to line. It's like, why should we talk to you? You, you can't even like, you, you offer a bet and you don't even follow through. Like, I, I, I don't care how unfailingly polite you are. You're a scammer if you... If you offer, or you're you're completely insincere and you're you're a hypocrite if if you don't. So, I don't know. We'll see. Um, that's that that seems to be like mm. a decent way out without, you know, making it look like he we're afraid of him or anything. He's just, uh, you know, I, I, he's not interested in debating. What can I say? Okay. Yeah. Well, let's uh, ch- let's change topics now. Uh, one area that you're famous for, and I think you you've really articulated this very well, is the position around blockchain skepticism. So, just to set the scene, there are a lot of there's a lot of hype about the use of quote unquote blockchain technology, and I think you've done well to help explain where it might make sense to use it and where it doesn't. So could you help um, just articulate that for the listeners who are a little newer? When does it make sense to use a blockchain and when does it not? So blockchain is a combination of a lot of different technologies. You have proof of work, you have, uh, you know, public key cryptography, you have Merkle trees, you have the solution to the Byzantine generals problem, you have network consensus and stuff like that. Um, And what's weird is that, it, this was specifically built for Bitcoin. It was a very specialized set of technologies. What people are trying to do is use that very specialized set for their own problem. Now, this wouldn't be so bad if it was a general purpose tool, but it, the blockchain, at least as conceived in Bitcoin, is not generalized at all. It's it's a very specific set. It's purposefully expensive. It's purposefully slow. Um, and to utilize it for almost anything else just doesn't make sense. It's too expensive. It's too slow. Now, for money, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, for, for Bitcoin, you need it to be this way because uh, it allows for decentralization. It, it, it allows uh, it so that there's no central party that can print money and so on. Uh, but for something like healthcare on the blockchain, it makes no sense whatsoever. All of the all of the data is in the clear in a blockchain, right? In in a database that everyone keeps, like uh, you know, stored locally. Uh, when you have that with something like healthcare data, well, that doesn't make any sense. You're you're not supposed to reveal anyone else's healthcare data. There there are like all sorts of laws against that, and it shouldn't really be. Uh, the business of anyone but the person and their doctor and possibly the insurance company, something like that. It does it, it like the patient, the person that owns that data should have full um, capability of sharing it with whoever they like. It shouldn't just be on the blockchain. So it, it's it, it's this ridiculous thing where a lot of 
hype has built around blockchain probably due to people like Don Tapscott that tell everybody that this is like the new thing and that it's going to change the world or whatever. And I blame him for a lot of this hype. Uh, but it, it doesn't really make any sense if you look at it from a technical standpoint, even to a little bit of depth. It's just, uh, you know, you can utilize maybe parts of the technology that build up what a blockchain is uh, for particular industries. Like, for example, public key cryptography would be useful in a lot of places. That That's a good way to issue receipts, for example, without, you know, like fraudulent copies and stuff like that. Like a lot of Nigerian scammers, for example, will copy like a PayPal email and make it seem like it's uh, arrived in your inbox. But if you had like public key cryptographies for something like that, you'd be able to verify that it actually came from uh, PayPal, which is, I think, uh, there's a particular standard that lets you lets you do that, though I don't think it's utilized very much. So, I mean, there there are things like that that could work, but when people say blockchain technology, they almost always mean you know utilizing it in this weird fashion. It's it's uh, akin to like uh, using a bulldozer to go pick up your groceries at the store. It's it's the it's the complete wrong tool for the job. And this particular tool is extremely specialized. It's uh it's for Bitcoin. And if you use it for almost everything else, you're going to have all kinds of inefficiencies and stuff. It's probably going to be too slow. It's probably going to be too expensive. And uh, and you're not going to be able to change it very much. So it, it it's, uh, it's kind of crazy to me that people have built it up to be this thing. And I, I really thought that big, blockchain, not Bitcoin, was like dead back in 2015. But it just keeps like um, coming back from the dead like a zombie and we have to kill it over and over again. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. It does keep coming back. How, how on, on this topic of you know blockchains, how do you distinguish between some of the what we might call the enterprise blockchain projects and some of the the other distributed blockchain type projects? Um, I'm, I'm not actually sure there's a difference. I guess one is, uh, one is supposed to be private, one's supposed to be public. And they, they always sort of claim that the private blockchain is all these use cases and stuff. Um, I will note with prejudice that vast majority of the time, uh, you know, these private blockchain projects come from like the lab, um, you know, arm of some large company. So, you know, you'll, you'll hear about like Fidelity has a blockchain uh, lab or something like that. And, you know, IBM has a blockchain lab and et cetera, et cetera. And these labs are always the ones that put out press releases about how awesome their, you know, private blockchain is. Uh, it's almost never by like an actual customer. Right. Um, and, you got to understand, like for a lot of these companies, they, they put a lot of money into these labs and these labs have to constantly like justify their existence. And oftentimes they'll they'll just sort of come up with something based on like the newest buzzword and claim to have done something when they actually haven't uh, or like claim to have done something interesting when they haven't and claim to have, uh, you know, gotten customers to use something when they actually haven't. It's a uh, vast majority of the time, it's like one press release, and then it quietly goes away forever. Um, and that's what it seems to be. And somehow that's gotten a lot of press, a lot of conference attendees or uh, people curious about it. Um, I honestly, like, I blame like people like Don Tapscott, that's sort of like, made all these promises uh, about like what blockchain is without understanding a lick of the actual technology. Mm, yeah, and I think part of what you've done with some of your articles and your talks on this is you've helped outline that there's an increased cost of data processing, storage, network costs. So are these things unlimited or are they scarce? Could you outline a little bit on that? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely scarce. Almost everything is scarce, right? Like there's only a certain amount of space on your hard drive. There's only a certain amount of bandwidth that you have. There's only a certain amount of CPU power that you have. Um, and all of those things go into, you know, any sort, any sort of blockchain as we, we, uh, as they're utilized in Bitcoin. Now for checking money stuff, um, that's absolutely critical. You, you need to know how many, uh, bitcoins there are. Um, in order to do that, you need to have a an accurate UTXO set. And in order to do that, you need to 
you need to be constantly going back and forth and, you know, checking every block uh, for, you know, absolute um, consistency with everything else. And, you know, I mean, people, people that are pretty good at finance uh, do the same thing with their books, right? Like they, they double and triple check everything uh, and make sure that like not a, not a penny is misplaced. Um, and that makes sense for money. It, it doesn't make sense with a lot of other stuff, uh, like, like paying that much cost. Like if I am, um, you know, I don't know, like say gambling, right? Like a, a lot of people, uh, like to say that's like a use case for something like a blockchain. Um, if you actually talk to gamblers, they're totally fine with a centralized entity uh, or a neutral third party that, you know, deals the cards or, uh, you know, does the sports book or whatever. Um, they're totally fine with that because they don't want to have to assess the trustworthiness of every other counterparty that could exist. Uh, now, like the argument is, oh, okay, well, you know, smart contracts will make that like, you know, better or whatever. But that doesn't make, really make sense either because for the gamblers, um, they'd rather you need a market anyway. You need you need somewhere where you can figure out who to bet against and so on. You you don't like come into uh, some uh, you you don't you don't have a market to you know play with uh, until you have some central place to go find that stuff anyway. So it, in a sense, like all of this is is very. Um, uh, like what they're trying to do with blockchains, it, it just doesn't really make any sense. Uh, and a lot of the stuff that uh, they're trying to decentralize, you don't really need to decentralize. There's, there's no real problem there. Um, people make it out like there is, but vast majority of the time, the, the actual problem is an IT infrastructure is too old and they just generally need an IT infrastructure upgrade. It's not nothing about actual blockchain. Yeah, so um, basically, if you if a company were to try and in, you know put in some kind of blockchain system, let's say maybe even a trade finance blockchain across different companies, then mm. this system now becomes harder and diff- more difficult to update in the future. Could you outline a little bit around the technical difficulties that would be associated with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so when you have a decentralized blockchain, if it's actually really decentralized, then you can't force everyone to upgrade. So every upgrade has to be backwards compatible. And uh, and programming that is a giant pain, right? Like, uh, and testing that is a giant pain. And this is something that Bitcoin developers have known for a while is that, you know, like, uh, you know, forcing everyone to upgrade, that, that makes it a lot easier to do the code. Uh, but it's unfair to the network and there's no guarantee that it won't split things. Um, if you had, you know, uh, if you have a product that is, you know, blockchain based supposedly, and you, you can't really iterate on it very easily. Um, if you, if you are going to iterate at all, it has to be voluntary and backwards compatible. So if there's like a bug in there, um, then you just sort of have to keep it in order to keep it backwards compatible. Um, and this is, this is in fact the case for Bitcoin. There, there's several bugs that Satoshi put in at the very beginning that we still have with us today it, it, because we, we have to keep the consensus rules and because we have to keep things backwards compatible. Um, and, and that uh, from a technological standpoint, that's a, that's a very hard restriction to have to go around right like if you have something that's always backwards has to be backwards compatible it's a lot harder to do and uh and there's no real appreciation of that because uh you know in tech uh the motto tends to be move fast and break things you can't do that with a blockchain it's just impossible Mm, yeah. And I think the other point to make there is in these cases of, say, the enterprise blockchain where maybe it's permissioned, uh, even there, there are still differences across different countries. And they and there's, there might be a reason some of these countries run different software. It could be cultural differences or peculiarities of the region or the regulation or the business practices. How could these things be encoded into such a blockchain or an enterprise blockchain? Yeah, I, I mean, you you have you certainly have different regulations, and th- this is one of the stupidest things about blockchain. Vast majority of the time, there's some central entity that wants to be able to override whatever the blockchain says. 
So I, I discovered this, like whatever they're like, okay, we want to do stock trading and we want to put, make a blockchain for it. Um, the SEC sometimes wants to stop certain trades because they think it's, uh, you know, market manipulation or it breaks some law or they think it's like some uh, funds for terrorists. I don't, I don't know. What, whatever it is, the central authority wants to be control, able to control it. That's exactly why Bitcoin was made with a blockchain to be completely decentralized. So there's no single point of failure. So a government entity can't come in and regulate it like that. But a lot of these like private blockchains are created with that obvious security like uh, hole, right? Where where some central entity can, you know, censor transactions, for example. Oh, you're not allowed to trade that stock because it's, um, it, you know, it's being suspended or something like that because of insider trading or whatever. Um, and that that's like completely ag- like, again, this is wrong tool for the job, right? Like. If you need that capability, then blockchain is exactly the wrong thing. And vast majority of these uh, IT infrastructures that need upgrading have lots of regulations. And that's partly why they need uh, they, they haven't been upgraded in a while is because, you know, everyone's afraid that everything will break as soon as they upgrade. And for good reason, a lot of these, uh, you know, like if you think about like the IT infrastructure of a hospital or something like that. There are more CEOs fired for trying an IT infrastructure upgrade and failing than any other reason. Uh, and this, this isn't just true of hospitals, but almost any enterprise. That's the number one reason CEOs get fired. So, of course, they're going to be risk averse when it comes to, you know, upgrading their IT infrastructure. Somehow they think that by adding the word blockchain that uh, these CEOs will be more assured and be more likely to buy their product. But you know, the minute the CEOs of code take a look at what it actually means, they realize this is not really the right technology or that they're just uh, spouting a bunch of buzzwords that don't mean anything. Mm, yeah, yeah. And so from the point of view of, let's say you're a business person and you're thinking to implement a new technology, what would be some of the alternatives, the cheaper, more technologically suitable tools that would work instead of a blockchain. So a couple examples you've raised are receipts or a central database with an API or the use of backups. Could you uh, uh, could you uh, elaborate on those? Yeah, so um, something like supply chain, right? Like the, the big problem seems to be nobody can really tell where something came from because it gets mixed up all over the place. And they're like, well, if we use a blockchain with RFID tags, then we, we will know that this mango came from this particular farm in New Zealand. Um, and that that's sort of like the, the idea behind that is, okay, we can tell if this coffee is actually fair trade versus... Um, you know, having to trust the label or something like that. Um, you know, we can tell that these are not conflict diamonds, that they're actually from like a region that doesn't, you know, that, that isn't supporting, you know, um, some military junta or something. Uh, that, that's the idea, right? Um, if that's what you want, then blockchain is the wrong tech. What you can have are triple signed receipts. Now, a uh, triple signed receipt is is what it sounds like. It, it, it's three signatures. You have the signature of the person that's selling it. You have the signature of the person that's receiving it. And you have the signature of somebody that's auditing it. So some third party, right? Like some accounting firm, perhaps. Um, and the three of them sign it and they, they testify that this transaction happened. Um, utilizing that, you can you can have a chain of custody, um, and that that's that's a lot more appropriate uh, rather than having everything everywhere. Because you know whether or not, yeah, it, whether or not a particular mango comes from New Zealand or from some other place, doesn't uh, you know af- like it, it should only affect the people who care about that particular mango. It shouldn't be it, like available for everyone to see. You know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah. And then, so that would be the example of using receipts. Mm -hmm. How about in the example of using a central database with an API? Yeah. And that's, uh, that's something that most companies already have. Um, and vast majority of the time that works really, really well. So, uh, if you want to know about, um, you know, uh, 
your Amazon order or something like that. Uh, I don't know. So, some people want to put everything on a blockchain. Um, you know, you, you, you get an email about your order. Um, but if you had an API, well, you can, you can verify at any point whether, where something is or something like that. Uh, you don't need the data to be in lots and lots of different places because most of the data in most applications, you don't really actually care about. You only care about the stuff that belongs to you, like your order at Amazon. I don't really care about everyone else's order. In fact, that's kind of a privacy concern if I could see everyone else's order because that means everyone else can see my order. I don't want them to know about what I ordered from Amazon, right? I don't want them to know about what surgeries I've had at the hospital or whatever. Um, so like making sure that you, you have the right privacy silos um, generally means that it's a lot easier if you have it in a centralized database. Now you could have it in a decentralized database, but now you have to encrypt everything, and that 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 itself could be very difficult. Um, but you can you can also do that in a centralized database to give people an extra layer of protection. But when, if you have an API key to whatever it is that only should be interesting to you, then you can you can get everything that you're interested in, uh, but not anyone else. And uh, you know, utilizing. Uh, that API, you, you, you can go and learn whatever it is and it can, it can be backed up. It can be redundant or whatever. Um, and you can have the same data, right? Like a, a lot of these blockchain projects, that's all they're really asking for is some central place that they can go and query for the stuff that they're interested in because, you know, they got like a shipping container full of like shirts or something like that. They just want to make sure that. It's, uh, you know, it came from the factory that it said it did uh, instead of some other place. Uh, I mean, that that sort of thing is very easily done in a centralized database. It, it really doesn't make sense to have a decentralized database for it. So on the question of backups, backups can, done centrally can be much cheaper than mm -hmm. using a blockchain. So could you just outline what are the typical costs associated for that compared to a blockchain? Yeah, a blockchain is going to be very expensive. You, you have to constantly get a copy of everything that's happening um, and put it into your blockchain. Not only that, you have to verify that and you have to store that, right? Like, so there's... Three costs, the bandwidth cost, you have to receive it. Then you have to verify it. That's a CPU cost. And then you have to store it. That's like a database cost. Um, with like a typical backup uh, on like Amazon Cloud or something like that, you're, you're going to be able to do it way, way cheaper, like orders of magnitude cheaper because you can just copy the same data that's already been verified. So instead of receiving the data, like a thousand, if you have a thousand nodes on the network, then every one of them has to... Uh, take up bandwidth to at least receive it. Uh, every one of them has to expend CPU power to verify it. And every one of them has to expend database space to store it. Um, instead, if you're looking to back stuff up, instead of doing that, you can just verify and receive just once and then back it up. And that's a lot cheaper because, you know, backup technologies, um, you know, already exist. Uh, it doesn't need to be very close. Uh, like it doesn't need to have a low latency or anything like that because you can it's a backup. You can you as long as you can get to it, that it's usually fine. Uh, so from a cost perspective, it's, it's just much, much cheaper. And, uh, you know, this is one of the things that, you know, advocates of blockchain say is, that, oh, yeah, you'll you'll have copies of it everywhere. Well, yeah, but it's it's costing way more than it needs to be. And this is one of the ways in which you, you can save a lot of money that way. Then to sort of summarize the thoughts then, because what we see is we see a lot of news stories about companies who are doing a blockchain trial or look, we've done a bond on a blockchain, blah, 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 right? Um, and so where they might have potentially saved some money, I guess it's, first of all, do you think these are legitimate savings or perhaps if they are legitimate, but maybe they could have saved even more if they took a different engineering or IT architectural approach? Yeah, I I. I, I think you're right like it most of the time i think it's complete bs i think it's uh it's just sort of a press release to make the their lab program look better or themselves more innovative or something like that without actually having to prove that they've done it um and it, even if it is true that they have done it then it's completely ripe for disruption by somebody that can do it easier cheaper faster 
by centralizing a lot of it and not utilizing this, uh, you know, a bulldozer to go pick up your groceries. You can use your bike or your car or something like that. Uh, it, it, it just makes way, way more sense. Um, so doing it that way is going to be way, way better. And I, I, I think that's, that's the, um, the crux of this, uh, like that's the real evidence is that most, most companies aren't willing to buy any of this and it's because they don't see the value. Um, and you know, like the market sort of tells all if, if blockchain really were useful, there would have been something by now. It's been like five years of blockchain hype. There would have been something by now that's getting actual use that, uh, companies rely on that they're willing to pay for, um, it's just not the case. Uh, like they're 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 all sort of just still projects that no one's actually bought. Mm, yeah, that's a great explanation. I think there's just a lot of hype at the moment, and it'll take some time for people to understand why it's valuable. Um, I think that's pretty much all we've got time for. But uh, Jimmy, did you want to maybe uh, just outline any projects you've got coming up, or anything you want the listeners to? Uh, come and find you at or sign up for? Uh, so I have a programming blockchain seminar. That's a two-day course for developers to learn all about Bitcoin. You're, um, I, I teach them how to code a Bitcoin library from scratch. And by the end, you're able to uh, not only create a transaction on testnet, but uh, you know communicate it on the network and get all the data that you need from the network instead of like a block explorer or something. So um, it's very exciting. A lot of people really like it. The next one is in Prague in October. Um, I, I'm also, you know, uh, you know, writing a book uh, based on that class uh, for O'Reilly. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jimmy Song, Medium at Jimmy Song, GitHub at Jimmy Song. I also have a YouTube channel off chain with Jimmy Song. So, um, yeah, that that's I, I, mean, I can show more stuff, but I think that's enough. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine, guys. Um, definitely, you know, Jimmy's one of the most highly respected guys in this space. So if you're interested in learning more, he, he is one of the best guys to learn from. So definitely go and check him out. Well, I think that is pretty much it. So thanks for coming on, Jimmy. Well, thank you for having me. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jimmy Song. As always, rate, review, subscribe. Come find me on Twitter. My handle is at Stefan Libera. I'm always happy to take questions or feedback on potential suggestions. Otherwise, that's it from me. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Thanks for listening. You can find the show notes on stefanlevera.com. And please share the podcast on social media.